0: This audio podcast is from the River Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope God uses it to encourage and grow your relationship with Christ. For more information about the River Church, visit us online at theriverdfw.com or facebook.com/backslash theriverdfw. Good morning, everybody. Sorry, ooh, let's start off. let start this off with a little cough. Hope you guys are doing good this morning. I, I kind of feel like we could just pray right now, Pastor Mike, and just go home. That was fire. Uh, three things before I start this morning. Uh, one, uh, after every service on Sunday, me and Mike do rock paper scissors for who gets the next, and so I always win. So that's why he always has to preach. So you have me today. Uh, I put on my church shoes for this event, and uh, the last thing is I. I tried to warn you about the book of James. How many of you guys, just raise your hand if you've been enjoying the James series. I tried to warn you, okay? All right, I told you before we started, this was gonna be, just buckle your seatbelts. It was gonna be intense, okay? Reading through the book of James and this series, yeah, is like sometimes getting a punch to the face. And today's gonna be no different. Uh, But no, we're excited, I'm excited, and uh, I wanna just get right into it. If you've got your Bibles, your app, your tablet. Uh, I just want you to read with me. We're going to be reading in uh, <clears throat> James four, verse one through twelve. Uh, listen, this James is the brother of Jesus, so why would we expect anything different? I mean, he's the brother of Jesus. <laughs> okay, so naturally, uh, when he speaks, you're going to want to listen. Like this is a powerful, powerful book, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and just start reading in verse one. Okay, it goes like this. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your evil desires. Adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. Or do you think it's without reason, the scripture says, that the spirit who lives in us yearns jealously, but he gives gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your heart's double-minded people. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Your laughter must change to mourning and your joy to sorrow. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers. He who criticizes a brother or judges his brother criticizes the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray. God, we just want to thank you. God, how your spirit is in this room. God, we sense your presence. We know that you're with us, God. And I just pray, Lord, that today as we walk through this these passages in James, God, that you will just begin to kind of tear our hearts. God, that you will begin to show us who you want us to become. God, show us how to walk in your way. God, we need you this morning. God, we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to kick this off, um, with kind of just sharing uh, a story or an experience that is kind of universal to everyone in this room. All right. A lot of us, uh, this is whether it's with a loved one, a family member, um, in this case, in my case, uh, it's my spouse, unfortunately. Uh, let me just kind of paint the picture for you. We get in the car, and I ask what seems to be just kind of a casual, low-key question. So, where do you want to eat? Uh, I don't care. Okay. And in my mind, you know, I'm a dreamer. I'm like, oh, there's so many options, but really, there's only one option. Let's go to Chick Fil A. Ah, uh, I'm not really feeling Chick Fil A. Timeout. So at this moment, I heard her just say she's not really feeling Chick Fil A. A few things are kind of running through my mind. The first thing is. Chick-fil-A is a sacred place. It is like holy ground. Okay, so for you to say you're not feeling Chick-fil-A, not only do I take offense to that, but I take offense on behalf of the entire Truett Kathy family. All right, this is this is just this is unimaginable. And so naturally I say, Well, I thought you said you didn't care where we eat. Well, I've just been at home all day with the kid. I'm exhausted. I really just wanted you to make the decision. I don't even want to have this conversation right now. Okay, so I've been at work all day too. Are you telling me like uh, what I do isn't viable, isn't important? And the conversation begins to escalate. There's a few periods of kind of just silence in the car, uh, awkward silence, and then it just just gets worse and worse. And uh, you guys act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, a common human experience, no matter if it's a friend, loved one, whatever. And then there's only one thing to do. I pull the, co- the car over on North Tarrant and Den Highway. We get out of the car. I see her pulling her earrings off, right? She swings at me. I swing back at her. She swings at me again. And over there, you know, uh, over there at uh, Smoothie King, soccer mom comes out, calls 911. All of a sudden, the cops show up and they're me and her are handcuffed on the curb trying to explain, we really love each other. We we really, we're married. This is this is it. Yeah, quit acting like y'all hadn't had that experience. Yeah, it's real. Anyway, and, and those are the kind of conversations where, uh, you know, at the end, when the dust settles, you're just kind of like, what did we even start fighting about? Like, what, Why did we even get into this quarrel? It all started with us trying to figure out where we were going to eat. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? And the dust settles and you start to get a really good, look at yourself. You're like, man, I am evil. Like I have so much pride. Like we were just trying to decide where to eat and now we're fist fighting off the side of North Tarrant. Like this is bad. And it's just, it's just kind of crazy how that quarreling within us begins to happen. It reminds me of what Mike was talking about last week. If you didn't hear his sermon on uh, wisdom, godly wisdom and earthly wisdom, go check out the podcast. Uh, It was really good. You really have kind of two ways. I'm just going to touch on that real quick. You have two ways of kind of living this life. The first one, and you see people who live this life. These are these are the people that you're like, I want to be like you when I grow up. These are the people that are like, they walk with God. They understand that he is the designer. And if he's the designer, the great creator, and he designed you, our bodies, the world, the earth we live in, then he has the right to design a way that you will walk with him and, and and these people, they, they see like the blessings and the little stuff. These are also the people that are like, like they go through something difficult. They got a smile on their face. You're like, what is wrong with you? Like these are just those, those really incredible, incredible people. And a person who lives in godly wisdom is marked by these things. They're marked by faithfulness, joy, long suffering, love, commitment. On the other side of walking in wisdom is walking in self-centeredness. All right. And these people, uh, these are, these are people who live a self-centered lifestyle focused on the here and now apart from God. These are people who, who are so focused on what they have right now that they're afraid to let go because they don't know what the future holds. They don't have hope in tomorrow. They don't have hope in God to believe that he's going to walk through the trials with them. And so they hang tightly onto what they have. All I have is all I have. My time is my time. Why would I sacrifice my time and what I have for someone else or for something else? It's mine. These people also believe that their happiness is number one. So if there is a God, then he too is all concerned about my happiness. This life is marked by jealousy, bitterness, self-ambition, frustration, and anger. When you are the point to your life, you're miserable. When you think that everyone exists to serve you, you're going to be very disappointed. And the reason that is, is because everyone's serving themselves too. So no one's going to be able to serve you. You get what I'm saying? And so many of us have lived this life before where we were just miserable, offended. We were just bitter, angry. This is a life that is not walking in God's wisdom, but instead walking in a self-centeredness. And then within you, a quarreling begins to happen. You start, you feel that churning inside of your soul where you're just like, I am not happy And then the quarreling starts to happen with the people around you. I am, I do not like you because God blessed you and he didn't bless me. And you get frustrated. You quarrel with people and then eventually you quarrel with God. I don't like you. And, and it's interesting. Like I I think about, and, and this might, this might, I don't know if this is a good example, but in my generation, I know this happens in every generation, but in my generation, uh, there are people like me who grew up in church and you grew up in the youth group, you grew up Walking you know every church you, you did all the right things okay uh you went to church every sunday you did all these things and when you get into your 20s and 30s uh you start to realize that your life hasn't turned out like you thought it was going to turn out right like uh god i did all this i lived for you all throughout my teenage years and i'm still single you didn't give me that spouse and you start getting angrier I, I followed you. I did all these things. And now my marriage is less than perfect. God, you're not holding up your end of the deal. Or God, I did all these things for you, but I'm not at the level of success that I thought I would be at. And you start kind of throwing, like trying to negotiate with God. Then that just, that just sounds dumb coming out of my mouth. Like negotiate with God. That just sounds ridiculous. And, but we do that. We try to negotiate with God. We're like, God, you didn't give me what I deserve. Listen, you don't want what you deserve. We don't want what we deserve. We forget so easily that before we even knew Christ, and we're going to read in the text here in a minute, we were hostile towards God. If we got what we, we just don't we don't want what we deserve. And so it's funny. It's like I, I, I want this to also be kind of a warning to us that a lot of times when we live in that way, we think that everything we have is ours and that we created it with our own hands. Let this be a warning to you, sir, if you're in this room and you're, you consider yourself a self-made man, I've built everything and have everything that I have with my own two hands. Uh, I was reading this passage, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. It says this, Paul writes, for who makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? Listen, if God made everything, it's his anyway. You have nothing that is really your own. He created you. You belong to him. So it's it's kind of futile for us to think that everything we have and what we've created is ours. And so we walk in this way. This is a this is a way of living your life. And let's just be honest with you, it's incredibly practical. It's about alignment. Aligning yourself with God and in his way and hearing his voice. But when you align yourself with you, you end up in a really bad place and it doesn't it's not really hard to see. I mean, I literally I mean, we know people and we're not judging them, but we know people who have gone their own way and that's that self-destructive lifestyle just destroys them. Okay, I mean, I see it everywhere. And when your eyes are open to that, you begin to see how practical the gospel is. You, We read this and you're like, what is he talking about? But when you break it down and you start beginning to understand and you see kind of God vision, you begin to see, you can tell when someone's walking with God and experiencing grace, and then you see someone making decisions that are apart from God, shaking their fist at God, and you see just destruction. It, it's just, it's obvious. I want to I jump to four, but I want you to know part of the reason I went through all that is just, just to talk about that first uh, one through three. It says, what is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? So for you history buffs, the guys, that, the guys and girls that like biblical history, this is a spiritual concept, but also a physical one. At this time, when James wrote this, the Jews were actually creating factions and fighting the Romans. So there was like actual quarrels, like they were throwing fists, they were fighting. Also at the time, sections of Jewish cult- Jews were breaking off and fighting one another. So there's kind of a two thing happening here. He says, you desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war. You do not have because you did not ask. And you, uh, and you did not receive because you ask with wrong motives. And so he says here, he says, the reason you're fighting, the reason that you're throwing your fist at God and you're fighting is not because of him, but because of a war that is going on inside of you. And so just, just wanted to touch on that. Let's go to verse 4. All right, this started, verse four starts off with a pretty strong word. It says, adulteresses, wow, it's scary. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. Or do you think it's without reason, the scripture says, that the spirit who lives in us yearns jealously, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I looked on Facebook the other day, um, and I have like over 1,700 friends. And uh, I, was in it, I was having a conversation with somebody uh, about this. We were not about how many friends we have, but uh, <laughs> it sounded really cheesy. Uh, but anyway, we were had, just having a conversation about Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg. And you can imagine we were just talking about everything. And then it got on how many friends we had on Facebook. And so anyway, I just said, yeah, I've got like over 1,700 friends or something on Facebook. And this lady, <clears throat> lady looked at me and she said, 1,700 friends? That's impossible. And I was like, well, actually, you're right. It, it is impossible to have 1,700 friends. Like I, uh, I'm an extrovert and I love to have a lot of friends. Like if you look at my personality profile, it is possible for me to have a lot of friends uh, at a very shallow level and I'm okay to operate at that. You talk to Katie, her personality profile, my wife, she wants to have like three really tight, close friends, okay? And for me, I sometimes I kind of lose sight of what friendship even is. I think that in our culture, it gets very diluted because of things like, you know, Facebook terminology or even the internet. Uh, I, like the other day, my community group leader Colin Stacy, Colin Stacy and his wife Heather, lead a community group, and, and my family is a part of it. And he texted me the other day and was like, we were having a conversation like, bro, you're a really, you're a really good friend. I was like, really? I was like, what? Like, I don't, you know, we don't really, I think that friendship, the idea of friendship gets so diluted sometimes that even in our own mind, we have a difficult, difficult time understanding that. Now, if you are a person, you have really tight friends, that's good. And for me, that's, this is encouraging that I'm allowed to have just a few friends because as an extrovert, I'm like, I got to be deep with everybody. I got to have. Uh, 1,700 people, and we all got to be super tight. And I walk around with sometimes guilt on my shoulders because I'm like, man, I am just a terrible friend. Uh, but it is okay to have several friends. I've heard of people who are a part of community groups that they're so tight, like they hold each other accountable so well that they share finances. I mean, it's crazy. Like it, It's just insane of how tight you can be with someone. And And I really think that the idea of friendship is is not some shallow level thing. It's more of a, a deep thing. I'm going to present this idea. I think that friendship has a lot to do with submission. Submitting yourself, subjecting, subjecting yourself to someone to be fully known and to fully know someone. I think that even in this text, you find in this text, what did it say? It said this, adulteresses, Don't you know that friendship, this was a term that is in the Bible. James used the term friendship. So when I read that, I was kind of confused. I was like, friends? Like, "Uh, okay, friends with the world. I didn't take it that seriously. But when you look at friendship in light of fully submitted to, like I'm going to fully submit, you're going to know my finances, what I struggle with. You're going to know everything about my life. You're going to know how my marriage is going, how my relationship is with my kids. You submit yourself to someone to be fully known. It changes the entire definition of friendship, doesn't it? And so look at that idea, the idea of submission in light of this passage. Let's, uh, well, before we do that, I really think like if you look at the world we live in and if you look at the internet, the existence of the internet and how it can connect us with lots of people, back in the day, people understood this. Tribes, small communities, uh, before that, like we we were tight-knit, we were tight-knit people. And I just feel like, again, just to reiterate that, I feel like that we lose sight of what it really means to submit to one another. And that's why we do this here at the church. That's why we have community groups. Like, for real, I can't really hide anything from my community group. Like, there's nothing I can hide. And I like it that way. I don't want to be someone who carries around secrets. I want to be known. And here at the church, this is a place where you can find lasting, deep relationships with people that you can't find other places. And, uh, that's just a shameless plug, but I would, I'll be honest with you. The only reason I say that is because I've experienced it here. So let's look at that passage using the term submission. Don't you know that when, if you submit, uh, with the word or submit to the world, it's hostility towards God. So whoever wants to submit themselves, uh, or submit themselves to the world becomes God's enemy. Man, I'm just kind of seeing this. Look at the look at what this says here. <clears throat> it says this. Don't you know that when you submit yourself to the world, that it's hostility towards God? How many times have we gone through something, right? And then all of a sudden we're angry at God that God did this to us. This right here turns the ownership back on us, right? It says when we submit ourselves to the world, we are being hostile towards God. We are being hostile towards him. God's not being hostile towards you. In fact, you are being hostile to him. And then it goes on to say this. It says, so whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. It doesn't say God is becoming your enemy. It says that you are becoming God's enemy. It's you that is changing. God's not changing. You are changing. Wow, how that's just a, a kind of a powerful observation in scripture that he stays the same. It's us that is changing. And it's a hard pill to swallow when you realize that you are actually the one. <laughs> it's not God that the anger and frustration you have towards Him is actually because of you. I have an uncle. Uh, if you, if you look in the dictionary and you look at wise sage, his photograph is right there. Um, he always said this. He's a simple dude. I'm talking real simple. Like, didn't ever, maybe went to the doctor one time in his life. And when he went, they said, sir, you've got to drink more water. He said, I get all the water I need from Dr. Pepper. <laughs> I'm like, all right, man. Uh he's an awesome guy. He said this, and I never forget it. He said, when you get incredibly angry or frustrated with someone, your first prayer ought to be, God change me. When you first, when you first, you feel yourself getting frustrated, if you would literally just say, God change me, and I do this, I say, God change me. And you realize that frustration and anger that's building really has everything to do with you. It man, it it changes it. It really it will diffuse that frustration in you. And I and I just can't I I can't help but think, God, a lot of the hostility experiences that I've had, frustration with God, and things of that nature. Yes, I've I've been frustrated with God. It really boils down to what's going on in me. It has nothing to do with Him. There's another term in this passage. That is a big stumbling block for people. Let's read it. I'm going to start in five. Or do you think it's without reason the scripture says that the spirit who lives in us yearns jealously? So this passage right here and passages like it that use the term jealous or jealously uh, are the reason that Oprah has said that she doesn't, isn't a Christian. Okay. Again, I'm not judging Oprah right now. I, I watched, uh, I want you to know I like Oprah. All right. If I could give away a car to everybody in the room, I would do that. That is dope. Like if I was sitting there with Oprah in her studio audience and she gave me a car, I would not be like, Nuh-uh. I'd be like, yes, you are awesome. So like, you know, her humanitarian effort, she's an incredible speaker person. She does a lot of great things. <clears throat> um, but I will say this was the this was the text that, that really made it difficult for her to become a Christian. Um, and uh, I watched the video. I want to read kind of word for word what she said here. Uh, she said that she had gone to a church and there was a speaker speaking. And this is what she said. Then he said, the Lord thy God is a jealous God. She said, <coughs> she coughed like that. I was caught up in the rapture of that moment until he said, jealous. And something struck me. I was 27 or 28 and I was thinking God is all. God is omnipresent. God is also jealous. A jealous God is jealous of me. And something about that didn't feel right in my spirit because I believe that God is love and that God is in all things. It would be easy for us to judge Oprah and write her off right there. Uh, I was doing some more reading um, on this topic and there's a guy uh, who we all love. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, C.S. Lewis. Actually, early in his life, he struggled with this very same verse. I'm going to read a, a piece from one of his books, The Reflections on the Psalms. He said that God craving our worship is like a vain woman who wants compliments. He later, like in some of his writings, said that he understood what this meant. But you understand the idea of God being a jealous God really kind of is like, what? Like this is, this is different. Like, is he a double standard? Is he like, what is this? Is he like going against who he really is when he says, don't be jealous? Um, And I want to tell you this, uh, God is not. And I think even in, uh, in, even in this video, if you go back uh, in the video of Oprah, um, she's talking about jealous of like jealous of her, jealous of what she has. Um, And I would tell you this, he's not jealous of you he's jealous for you. He's not jealous of what you have. What you have is his. Does that make sense? And in this passage in particular, there's some terminology used that we see throughout scripture. All right. He started the passage saying this, adulteresses, like why in the world? And then he used the term jealousy or jealously. You will find in the Bible, there's a lot of references to a story, to stories. In fact, the book of Hosea, All right. Hosea was a lord, a guy who finds a prostitute, marries her, gives her everything, bestows on her everything, gives her everything she needs. And you find in the story, she leaves him and goes back to what she knew. So in this, the terminology that you find in here is a reference to that concept, the idea of uh, of giving, having everything, but then walking away. So that's why he says adulteresses. He says, "I, I am jealous for your affection. I am jealous for you. In the same way that a guy who would marry a prostitute or someone and 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 she left him is jealous for his affection or her affection. Okay? Jealous. I mean, wouldn't we all be jealous for that affection? And we live this life and we give everyone else and everything else our affection. We make so many other things, money, our jobs, things, the Lord of our life. And we pour out our affection on these things. And God is saying, I want that affection. I love you. Does he need it? No, but he longs for it because he loves you, because he wants to be in a relationship with you. And so, when you see that term jealous, it's not—he's not jealous of what you have. He's not jealous of how he made you. He's jealous for your affection. If Oprah really understood that, I wish that she would know that. I wish that she could experience and know what that term really meant—that that he is jealous for her affection. Let's continue uh, in this passage. <coughs> So in five, or excuse me, six, he says, but he gives greater grace. So though we we may act like adulterers, though we may pour out our affections on other people or other things and make lords of other things, his grace is greater. He gives greater grace. And then it says this, therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Dun, dun, dun. When I read that earlier, everyone's like, oh, I do not. I do not want him to get to that passage. Like, please just skip over that. There's no skipping over this one. All right. Uh, When I read this, uh, I had this story pop into my head and I don't know why. And it was just funny. So early on at the River Church, um, and I'm telling the story, too, because I tell a lot of stories when I was a kid. Mike makes fun of me. Not really. But uh, so anyway, early on at the River Church. Uh, we were getting to know everybody that was coming to be a part of this. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but I went to lunch with Mike, Katie, Eureka was there, Mariah, and J-Lo. Uh, we all went to Razoo's. This was the first time I'd really met uh, you guys and really got to know you guys. And so we sat down at the table and we were just hanging out, just chewing on some gumbo or something. <laughs> Actually, I don't remember that, but uh, we were hanging out. And uh, And so anyway, we got on the topic of homeless ministry. And, uh, I was, I had the opportunity to do a lot of homeless ministry in Atlanta and Mississippi. So I decided to take this time to teach them about homeless ministry. So I'm just going on and on and on and on about how to love homeless people and how you should talk to them and like how we should love on them. I had all these ideas and I was just like going on and on and on. I feel embarrassed even talking about it. I was just like wearing them out. Right. And conversation's over. I'm done. And we continue in the conversation. And then we get on jobs, occupations. And I realized then that Mariah and Eureka are social workers, okay? And Eureka's job at the time was to walk out into the streets of DFW, build relationships with the homeless people to figure out how they can better serve them and count how many homeless people there are. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. Is my face red? That was, and so anyway, I don't know if you guys remember this, but I literally, I kind of sunk down in my seat. I just kind of hit the floor like this, laying flat and just slid out the door to my car. And, uh, that was embarrassing. That was embarrassing. When you read this passage, it says, therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, God resists the proud. You you see that and you're like, man, God, you are mean. No, he's not. You don't like pride pe- prideful people either. Like I I resist prideful people. If somebody comes in and they're like, you know, talking about homeless people like they know and everything and I'm a social worker. Yeah, I don't don't want to talk to this guy. (laughs) Luckily, we've our relationship is better now. Uh, (laughs) Hopefully, you know me. But uh, anyway, yeah. Listen, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pride is a is a very difficult thing uh, to deal with. And I think at some level we've all dealt with pride in our own lives. But luckily God kind of shares a little bit about pride. So if, uh, so if you want God's grace, right, he says, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, so how do I sit down, be humble? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through, uh, verse seven. We're going to start with seven. All right. I'm going to read it. Therefore submit to God, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners and purify your hearts, double-minded people. But Or Be miserable and mourn and weep. Your laughter must change to mourning and your joy to sorrow. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He kind of gives us a really nice template on how to be a humble person. All right. So if you're in here and you are a stud, listen, this is a really good practical way to help uh, get over that. So here's the first one. But resist the devil and he will flee from you. Interesting in this text, he uses this term resist. We saw this. This is wartime terminology, all right? This is aggressive. He's talking about sin here. If there is sin in your life, it is time to resist the devil, and he will flee from you, all right? We're not going to play around. We're not just going to hang out like, I'll do this. Not a big deal. He's saying resist the devil, all right? And he will flee from you. That's one thing. The second thing uh, that he says in this text, is draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. He gives us a promise, a promise of pursuit. He says, look, if you will draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And that's what this is about. That, that is a part of why we meet on a Sunday morning. This is a part of the reason that we put ourselves in community with people. This is part of the reason that we read our Bible. All right, listen, read your Bible, not like a newspaper, but it's a love story. It's a story about how he loves you. That's why we read the Bible, we get in community, we pray, we do these things because we are wanting to draw near to God. And the beautiful thing is, is when you take that step towards him, he takes that step towards you. And it's a promise of God. All right, listen, you may be someone who uh, had people in your life who don't follow through. All right, you, you reached out, but they didn't reach back. I'm going to tell you, it's different with God. He created you. So test that reach out to him, draw near to him and he will draw near to you. It's a promise. Okay. The next thing is this. You want to, you want to be a humble person. You draw near to him. The next thing is cleanse your hands sinners, and purify your hearts. Double-minded people. I like when I like this is the kind of stuff I like. All right. Listen, you may not be someone who likes to be talked straight to like just in your face. I like this kind of stuff. All right. James isn't playing around. You can read stuff in scripture. You're going to read the poetry. You're going to read all these different things, but James is not messing around. He's going to talk to you straight. He's like, look, you sinners. All right. You got to cleanse your hands. You got to purify your hearts. You double-minded people. Notice in this text, cleanse your hands. So first you need to deal with the sin that is visible. The things that are going on in your life, the things that 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 are visible the sin that is destroying you and maybe dealing and hurting other people God is wanting to give you the help you need to deal with that he says cleanse your hands the next thing he says is purify your hearts so let's deal with the stuff on the outside but let's also deal with the stuff on the inside God knows the dark things that go on in our minds all right and we know that there is a battle raging in the arena of our mind every single second of every single day all right. You really aren't exempt from that. And you really aren't alone. We get isolated in here thinking no one else shares that. No one else is struggling like I am in here. And I will tell you this. He's saying cleanse your mind, purify your mind. All right. Take captive of your thoughts. If, if, if your mind is going somewhere, he's saying take captive of those thoughts and cleanse and purify your mind and your heart. The next thing, if you want to figure out how to become a, a humble person because you want to experience God's grace, the next thing is this, <laughs> be miserable and mourn and weep. Your laughter must change to mourning and your joy to sorrow. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. This sounds funny. It sounds funny. What I, when I read this, and you guys can fact check me on this, but when I read this, I think this is an issue of levity because in, our, in this world, we are, we are obsessed with entertainment. We are obsessed with laughing. We are obsessed with having fun. And if we can avoid a serious moment for some laughter and fun, we will. And listen, I'm the king of that. I am the king of that. In serious moments, you will find me cracking the joke, laughing, having a good time. Okay, I'm the king of levity. But in this situation, he's saying, listen, turn your laughter. You must. It says you must change your laughter to mourning and your joy to sorrow. Mourn and weep before God. He's saying, don't take the sin in your life lightly. Don't just look at it and be like, okay, yeah, ignore it. Don't ignore it. He's saying, mourn and weep over it. This isn't the time to make light of a fun, such a difficult situation. He's like, face it. Mourn and weep and cry out to God. Listen, the Puritans, when they came to America, they had a lot of, they, they messed, they were messed up on a lot of things. But the one thing is, is we have stories. Of when they would weep and cry at an altar. They would, they would, were broken over their sin. The way that they were hostile towards God. And they would weep and mourn and cry. I'm telling you, if we would be a people who would mourn before God, who would be broken over our sin, listen, this is a safe place. If you were broken and you came down here and mourned and wept and cried, no one would judge you. No one would judge you. This, he's saying, let's get serious. Let's turn your laughter to sorrow, okay? Let's not take this lightly. These are the things that will lead to humility. I will say this too about that. Uh, there have been times in my life where I was broken over my sin. And I will I will be honest with you. It launched me into a place of joy. When I was broken before God and he, and, and he knew my heart and he saw where I was and I was broken before him. And that forgiveness came, that repentance. When I was repenting, he forgave me. I'm telling you, he took me to a place of joy. He took me to a place of love He's not asking you to be miserable. He's just asking you to be take your life seriously. Take your life seriously. Take your life in God seriously. This, this whole experience, coming to church, being a part of community groups, these things, it shouldn't be an extracurricular activity for you. This should be your way of life, walking with God, hearing him, being serious about your sin. And in that is joy, love, peace, compassion, excitement, enthusiasm, adventure. I'm telling you, that is the way of God. I don't want you to hear this and be like, wow, this is depressing. I don't want anything. I don't want any of this. No, he's saying, I want you to be broken over your sin. Let's go into the last part here. You know, when I was reading through this, I was thinking none of these subjects actually connect like quarreling, humility. Actually, they all connect (laughs) quarreling. All right. The inside of you, the war that's going on inside of you. All right. When you walk in that godly wisdom, it leads you to a place of humility. And then in that place of humility, when you understand that God is jealous for your affections uh, and then it flows right into this, Uh, it says this, and I wrote this down. I want to read it specifically when when god leads you into humility you no longer are experts in the weaknesses of your brothers but in the strengths of your brothers and are people who celebrate the god blessing movement of the holy spirit in their lives look at the text don't criticize one another brothers he who criticizes a brother or judges uh, his brother criticizes the law it goes on to say when you judge someone you are acting as the judge and there's only one judge one lawgiver. So when you walk in the way of God, the godly wisdom Mike talked about last week, you experience a life change. You experience humility. And then from that humility, you become a person who isn't uh, a person who tears people down. This is Man, James is like, boom, boom. You are not someone who tears people down. He says, don't criticize one another. I'm going to ask you some hard questions right now. Are you someone who feels like you need to tear someone down to exalt yourself, to exalt yourself? Do you feel like you got to tear someone down to exalt yourself? Are you more apt to point out someone's strengths or to passive aggressively or aggressively point someone out to let them know they have fallen short? Ouch. Ouch. Man, I'm bad. What I'm saying here is, and what he's saying here is this. We can't be a church. We can't be believers who follow God, who claim this uh, claim to follow him and then turn around and just cut each other down, even passive aggressively. A lot of times we think we're we're right. We're like, Oh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm in the right. I'm going I'm to tell you, all right, that you're in the wrong. I'm good. We tear each other down. And I want to challenge you guys today. Like this is what God wants for us. He wants us to encourage one another, to walk in humility, to be a people that encourages one another. I'm going to ask the band to come up here. We're going to have a time of prayer. But are you someone who tears someone down? We need to be people who encourage one another, who love each other in humility, who when we quarrel, our our default response in the midst of those quarrels is say, God, change me. I want to walk in your way.
1: Man, I love this place, guys. I love being able to come here and worship and experience God. And I love the fact that every once in a while I lose rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> and, uh, man, we are so blessed that, uh, man, just come and experience God. But then also days that I'm not able to speak to have someone like Joel come up and preach and bring the thunder, man. Right? Like James has been kicking our butt, but sometimes it's good to get our butt kicked, isn't it? <laughs> And so uh, we're just going to continue um, in worship this morning with uh tithes and offering, and, and I'm going to ask the guys to come on down. I have a few announcements for you. Uh, number one is if you filled out a communication card this morning, you can go ahead and stick that in the basket, and, and if, if God's brought something to your attention, even as we're singing and worshiping, um, even now, man, write that in, fill that in, stick that in there, or, or bring it to the uh, hospitality table outside. and um, know that we pray for you constantly and I those things I read those daily I keep them I pray for you we um, love you and uh, secondly we are continuing our Bible drive and so I think last week um, we raised a good amount of money we want to finish that out this week we're raising money for Bibles for Spanish Bibles um, to be given away in Macallan, Texas a World Radio Network and so we just want to keep that going and uh, raise as many funds as we can to give away as many Bibles as we can, okay. And so let's pray, and we continue in worship. God, I love you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the opportunity to come in this space and worship you and experience you. God, and be challenged um, by your word, God. Lord, thank you for uh, just who you are, God. Lord, I pray that you continue to change us and transform us and to make us look like you, Jesus. Take away that. Pride, strip us of that pride, Lord. Make us humble people who love you, who serve you. Take our sins seriously, God. Who who love one another and build one another up and encourage one another, God. And it's in Christ's name we pray, Amen. And as they are are doing that, we have something pretty cool that I want to share with you guys. Um, one of the reasons that I wasn't preaching today it wasn't because I lost rock paper scissors. Um, <laughs> But actually, I was at a conference uh, representing our church this week. And so what it was, it's a a network of churches who actually helped the River Church plant. And so it's a network of churches who helped launch us, who gave funding to us, who have supported us. And so I actually got to go. I was in Jackson, Mississippi, and uh, represent our church. And so just kind of speak on our behalf and, and basically, honestly, give them an update about what's been going on the last two years and so part of that was we made a video to share with them and so we were watching it and as we were watching it i showed it to katie and she was like i kind of got emotional watching that She was like kind of turned up a little bit and so i thought maybe you guys would like to see it and just kind of see maybe you can cry a little bit and no, i'm just kidding maybe we can uh we want you to see it and be proud of of your church and what you're a part of and so uh, tyler if you can go ahead and play that for us <laughs> When we first launched the river a little over two years ago now, little did we know the amazing things that God was going to do. We launched in a movie theater, but since then we've moved to an elementary school. And every single week our team unloads a trailer and we transform a secular space into a holy space, a space where people can come and worship and meet with God. A space where, through the hard work of our incredible kids teams, kids can come and meet with Jesus and learn about Jesus. A space where just a few short months ago, we held our very first baptism service at our church. A space that has become so much more than a meeting space, the teachers and the kids of that elementary school have become River Church family. And so in September of last year, we renovated their teacher's lounge as a way to bless and encourage the teachers. Every single week, members of our congregation go and mentor at-risk kids at this elementary school. And then this last year, our very first Easter egg hunt with over 300 people in attendance. These last two years, we've seen our dream of planning a church come true. It's been a lot of fun. But we hope that this is just the beginning of our story as a church we want to dream bigger we want to see more people meet jesus we hope to plant more churches